Thank you, Monica. How's that? Can you hear me now? Yes. Great. Uh, sorry. Um, it's a joy to be here. I have a slight confession. Uh, we get to be in several churches around the world, and we actually have a favorite, and it's this one. We have some sending churches. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that will help. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate that. So this is our favorite church of all the churches we know, and we know quite a few. So if you don't know that about KIC Laboa, stick around. It's a beautiful place. Um, we, we're excited to talk about marriage today. Um, we lived here uh, several years ago, and now we're back about twice a year, and we get to share. Um, and we have a pretty easy topic today. Um, Earlier this year, it's not usual, but I did two weddings, and so a lot of what we're talking about today it's okay. um, is from some of the weddings I've done, and I happen to be a counselor and a pastor and some other things, and so it all works out pretty well. I really appreciate Patrick and Lynette last week getting us started and giving us a good foundation, um, talking about how we can be healthy before we go into marriage. And hopefully we can talk about some roles in marriage today that help us decide how we navigate under the responsibility of marriage to fulfill God's design and plans. Uh, so no matter what your current status is, I don't want you to be discouraged that it's only marriage. We're also going to talk about singles today too. So some of you out there, hopefully you want to be married. Like, that's a good desire. Not everyone gets married. But there will be something in there for you as well. Uh, so we know that marriage as Christians, is an important God-established institution. We also know that marriage shifts the existing family dynamics, right? Uh, we, we don't have to worry. Marriage doesn't replace our families of origin, but it does shift the priorities of people who are married. Um, the Bible talks about that parents are no longer the first priority for a married son or daughter, and that designation a priority shifts to the new spouse. Uh, we know that because it's in Genesis 2, chapter 24. And I'll tell you that verse, but we'll be in Genesis 2, so if you want to flip there or on your device, you're welcome to do that. Uh, in 2.24, it talks about marriage as is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And sometimes we all struggle with that based on our culture, to do what the Bible says. So it's not my idea telling you what to do, it's what the Bible says that is the best plan. That our spouse comes before our families that we grew up in. Um, and why would that shift be so critical? I think it's because marriage is the most important of all earthly relationships. So we should enter into it reverently, thoughtfully, and full of its understanding of how sacred it really is. If any relationship comes before it, the household will not be as strong as it needs to be. And if you're married, you know there's a lot of challenging things and circumstances that happen. And so we need a strength that's together. Um, marriage must stand by the strength of a couple's love and the power of faith in each other and in God. Just like two threads woven together in opposite directions, 
create something beautiful that wasn't there before. So lives merge together, make a beautiful marriage. The beauty of two people joined together into one union was God's original plan for humanity that was created in his likeness. The order of the creation account really intrigues me, and that's where we're going to spend some time on this morning. Um, and I wonder if you've ever considered it. So we're going to talk about Genesis 2, some of the things that happened in the order of that, because I think we can learn quite a bit. Um, the first thing we, we see in the creation account in Genesis 2, is verse 7, is God created man. And we probably know that, so we won't spend a lot of time there. He created him out of the dirt, which sounds horrible for us, man. We're like, we're made out of dirt. I would remind you that God already created dirt, so we're actually going to create out of something God created, right? And then he breathed breath into us. That makes it sound a little better, not just <laughs> dirt. Um, and then later, in verse 18, God says that it was not good for man to be alone. What does God do next after that observation that man should not be alone? He creates animals. And I was like, what? I, but... <laughs> but man's alone, and then you made a lot of animals. It's like, okay. I need to move a little bit more, Jimmy. Um, see if we can get the reverb to stop. So what we have is that God has this observation that man's alone, and he creates animals. And then in verse 20, I think God does something that I would have never guessed, right? He takes all the animals he made to Adam to see what Adam is going to name them. And I'd be like, wait, Adam didn't make any animals. Why does he name them? So I thought about it like this. Um, I have no artistic abilities, like if you know me. Like I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't sculpt, I can't create music. But for a second, this is going to be a stretch if you know me very well, like pretend I was a painter, right? That I was a really good painter. And I just painted a thousand paintings. And they came out really well, which is hard to believe for me. And I did it all by myself. No one helped me. It was all me. I painted them. They're amazing. I, like, Benji's my good friend in the back. I can see him right there. I would honestly not take all my thousand paintings to Benji and say, hey, what do you want to call these? <laughs> right? Like, I did it myself. But that's a, a glimpse of God that we see that he doesn't do it the way we think. And so he created all these animals, and he took them to Adam, and he let Adam name them. I imagine God laughing at some of the names Adam came up with. I laugh at some of the names if you think about it. Um, but the point, I think, that God was making was we don't see in Genesis 2 that God ever told Adam, you don't have a suitable counterpart. Right? We see God knowing that. We see Adam naming all the animals, and then what do we read immediately after that? Adam realizes what God already knew. I don't have a suitable counterpart. And that's when woman was created. Um, there's a commentary, it's called Matthew Henry's Commentary, and it like, has a, a sentence or two about this creation account, and talks about woman that I like to read to you, because I think it's really good. The woman was made out of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. 
And I really think that captures what God had in mind. Um, Bobby's going to teach you potentially a new Hebrew word of what woman means. I'm disappointed because it's really good and I love to teach on it, but we agreed that she got to teach that part. That's okay. Um, And she's going to come up in a few minutes to do that. But before that, I want to address husbands in the room and and spend a little time with you Um, because I think we have some biblical responsibilities to our wives, the people we've married. Personally, I feel like there's a lot more verses in the Bible on how men are to treat wives than wives to treat husbands. I feel like it's like imbalanced. But then I look at myself and I look at other men and I think, you know what? If we're honest, relationships are actually a lot harder for us than women. So I think God knew what he was doing there to give us a few more verses. So we're not going to go through all those verses this morning. I think we're going to spend most of our time just in one because I think it's a really good summary of what the sum of those verses mean. So it's, it's one of my favorite verses to teach on, but that doesn't mean it's easy, right? So if you want to turn to it, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. Some of you are like, yeah, I knew that already. That's fine. Um, you're very smart people, very sharp. That's good. Um, and we're going to be in verse 25 for just a little bit. As Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands love your wives. And for most of us, that would be challenging enough if we're honest as husbands. That's challenging to love our wives. And then the verse kind of has the audacity to continue. And we're like, well, I'm not sure I can do more than love. That's hard enough. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a lot harder. I mean, if we're honest, right? So that's much harder. What does that mean for husbands today? I think it means the same thing it's always meant. And this is what I mean. It means namely that husbands should be the first to sacrifice because that's what we see Jesus doing for the church. Um, it's a husband's duty to protect, to support, to care, to love, but above all else, sacrifice. That's what loving your wife means. Um, And that's challenging for lots of levels. Like we have desires, we have wants, we have needs. Our spouse has those same things, but sometimes they don't flow together in a nice, even way. And so it's very challenging. I want to encourage you, though, some of the most sacrificial, loving husbands, I think, have one thing in common. Would you like to know what that is? I thought you would. Because either you're a husband, you're like, I should know this. And if I don't, like, I don't want someone to know I don't know this. And if you're a single guy, you want to know this because I think maybe you want to be married at some point, possibly. Like, um, I think they have one thing in common, and that's that they've purposely chosen what the Bible says over the default expectations of their culture. And we're talking about all cultures, American culture, Canadian culture, Ugandan culture, Irish culture, it doesn't matter. Um, And so sacrificial husbands, in my view, are those that have a biblical view of their relationship as a husband. 
So they have often wrestled out what not only they believe, which I think is really important, they've also looked at what their families that they grew up in believed and decided if that was a biblical thing or not a biblical thing. They've looked at not only what they believe and their families, but the communities they grew up in. And some of our communities we grew up had really good intentions, and yet, if we're honest, they fall short of the biblical role that we are called in Scripture to sacrifice and to do. So, I'm not going to encourage you that's a popular view this morning, and I would never tell you it's easy, because it's not. But what is easy, and we see this too often in people around us, is that they adopt the familiar expectations and they settle for a, a marriage or a connection that's much less than what God designed it to be. And so what I want to encourage husbands to look at what the Bible says, I would encourage you to, even single men, get into groups, just learn, study together. What does the Bible say about my future role? And I think a lot of what it says to husbands applies to men in general as we live out life. You don't have to be married to take on some of the husband passages. And so the Bible also tells husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. We find this in 1 Peter 3.7. I'm just going to talk about it briefly. Um, we know that men and women are different, right? We're different on lots of levels. We talked about relationships are easier for women, I think, than men. Uh, that's my experience as a, as a man, as a husband, as a counselor. Um, but we're also physically different. That... That might mean that your wife needs more, in some cases, like our house, and less than you, or less rest than you. That's, that's how it works in ours. Bobby has way more energy than I have. I can't do half the things she accomplishes in a day pretty easily. Um, your wife might eat differently or be concerned about matters that you're not. She might have a different perspective on raising children. So we find ourselves in situations that are difficult for us and our spouse. And the point is not that if it's not a moral or biblical issue, that we have to find a way to accept some of those differences and those different values and be a team and work together through them. So husbands, I would encourage you that your best way to love your wife is through sacrifice. Um, And now Bobby's going to come up and she's going to talk to wives and a little about singles. Good morning. Oh, I am there. So I appreciate that as a wife, and I just want to give Aaron a little street credit that he's a very sacrificial husband, and he does live with me in a very understanding way. And if you know me very well, you know I am not an easy person, and so that is quite an honor for him <laughs> to be able to say. Um, and he is not just saying that, husbands, you need to sacrifice in ways above your culture. He is living that. And so please do not think, oh, this person who does not know has come and said this because he really, really does it. Um, I want to echo what Aaron said, though, last week about um, Patrick and Lynette doing a really good job 
speaking that we need to be prepared in our spiritual life and our community life long before we enter marriage. And so I'm going to, at the end here, address singles a little bit, but I just want to say, if you know that you did not do that, like you entered marriage and you did not prepare your heart spiritually and in community, it is not too late. Um, I was thinking about that yesterday as we were giving the um, marriage presentation at Jerry and Moira's. Um, you still have opportunity to understand who you are, to understand yourself in relation to the Lord. And I just, I encourage you to do that for your sake and your spouses and your children, because that is the best thing for them. So Aaron mentioned that I was going to share a word, um, and it comes actually from Genesis 2.18. When God saw that man was not alone, he said, I will make a helper fit for him. Now that, that spot there, helper fit, is where we get a Hebrew word that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But I want to be honest before I start. I had a really hard time with this growing up. I grew up, this is always shocking to African people, but I grew up in, a, even in America, in a culture that was very oppressive to women and very limiting in the things that we could do. And so this idea that I was a helper fit, I really had a hard time with that for like the first 25 years of my life. Because it, it seemed to me that it meant that like I did a lot of work and men got their way. That is the reality. So, so women, please hear, like I've come from that place as well. But then I, years later, it was not long after I married Aaron actually, that I learned what the actual Hebrew is in this context. And it completely changed my mind. I was like, oh yes, I'm a helper fit. So I wanna talk about that a little bit this morning. The Hebrew word we translate helpmate is the word ezer, which is funny because it's not like a really nice, like happy feminine word. And so I remember I'm like, ezer, what is that? Um, interestingly, I really hear this. This word, Ezer, appears um, 21 times in Scripture. 21. Okay? And it actually means to rescue, to save, and to be strong. 16 of those uses are for the Lord as he steps into Israel to be the strong helper. Three of them are for military nations that come and uh, help Israel out of a bind. And actually only two of them are for the woman in Genesis. Only twice. But we've like really taken hold of this word about how the woman is an helper. Um, we learn as we examine all of scripture that Ezer means to rescue, save, and to be strong. So when God created the first couple, yes, he had companionship, but he also had strength and unity in mind. Okay. This quote sums it up better than anything I can. She will be his strongest ally in pursuing God's purposes and his first roadblock when he veers off course. I really want to believe that I've lived that for Aaron in the last... We've been married 21 years, by the way. Um, what I actually want to note in that first, though, before we go into the part about women, is in pursuing God's purposes. 
let's back up for a minute. Aaron was just talking about how Adam was like getting to name things and he was doing things with God and they were doing all of this. You know, God did not just create Eve so that they could be together. Like he had work for them to do. There was a reason. Marriage is not about you. I love, actually, I just want to thank the worship team this morning. I thought it was so great that we were singing about Jesus being the center. Okay? Your marriage is not about what you want. It is not about someone to fulfill you, as we heard last week. It is not about somebody to serve you. It is about the Lord. And we must seek Him and His purposes for our marriage first. We have a very, very successful marriage, and I actually think that that's mostly because it, of that, because some very hard things happened in the beginning of our marriage that made us turn our eyes to the Lord. That is actually why. We get a lot of credit for it, and I'm like, mm, Jesus. Um, so if you are a wife, your job is to be strong beside your husband for the sake of the work God puts in front of you together. As Aaron mentioned, you are not made out of his head. You're not the boss of him. And you're not under his feet. Gentlemen, you may not trample her. You are made to be equal in value, to be protected and loved, and because of this word, you are meant to be the strength beside. It is difficult to stand strong with someone if you do not respect their ideas and regard their opinions. A wife who uses her strength to notice and value her husband as they seek the Lord together is a mighty force. That is what an easer is. It is for the kingdom as he has placed you in marriage. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16. I actually want to say, I, wasn't, I don't have this in my notes, but I just want to challenge you. If you want something really interesting this week to read and think about in regard to relationship, go to the second half of Proverbs 17. Like only a couple of verses are specifically about marriage, but if you read that entire section, because I was studying in this, and I was like, whoa, we could just do a whole marriage conference on the second half of 27. That was amazing. So for what it's worth, I encourage you to read that this week. But these verses say, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Mm. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's hand. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. The thing that really got me in this was I have heard this verse before about a quarrelsome wife. And I have heard this verse before about iron sharpening iron. But I was like, oh, they are together. And I think that that is important. Ladies, I caution you that you would use your strength not to manipulate your husband or be demanding of his sacrifice. Yes, gentlemen, sacrifice. Ladies, don't demand it. Because if you demand it, it's not a sacrifice. It's a concession. Your words should strengthen him. That I could have just said that. I just could have come up here and said, ladies, do your words strengthen your husbands? And walked away, <laughs> okay. 
Another verse in Proverbs, though, Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Husbands, please value the strength that is in your wife. I actually think that's also part of the reason that we have a very good marriage. I'm a super strong personality. I'm a super strong person. And Aaron doesn't resent that. He values that and isn't threatened by that and encourages me to use that for the Lord. To regard, to disregard your wife in any way is to disregard what God saw in the garden that you needed. Remember that God saw that the man needed it? If you disregard her strength, you're like, well, I didn't really need what God wanted for me. That sounds like a really bad thing to go around saying. Okay, value and do not resent her, her strength. Be willing to hear her ideas and pray with her. Leading her in the Lord comes before everything else because everything is built on God's purposes for your life together. Um, as Aaron, I don't, we talk about this a lot. We both actually grew up in very broken homes. Um, all of our parents are divorced and three of the four are remarried just to keep it real crazy. And um, I think that through that, I have seen how difficult it is for men to lead their homes biblically, to say to their wife, I want to pray with you. Perhaps the greatest sacrifice you need to make men is to say to your wife when there are issues, let's just pray first. And I, I don't, because I'm not a man, I confess, I don't understand why that is such a terrifying thing, but it is the thing. So the first sacrifice is leading in the Lord. And, and actually the funny thing is, as we've watched a lot of marriages over the years, when that sacrifice falls in line, all the rest of them suddenly get a lot easier. I can't statistically explain that, but we've seen it be the truth. So when both parties do their roles properly, they become a stronger entity for the life God wants for them and the influence on the world he planned for them. Do you know that if you're married, God plans for you to influence the world around you? Whether it's your community, it starts with your children, and then your community, and the church, and the greater world. He has a plan for you to influence people. But if you're fighting against each other and not living your roles properly, you won't do that work together. You can't. So, while we greatly value marriage... We also want to take, talk today about the beauty and value of singleness. I want to say we have so many single friends, and while I'm happily married, I do see the freedom and power that they have in their lives, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that'd be good. Um, the Bible actually values singleness above marriage. You want to talk about a not-cultural idea. Let's go there. The Bible puts singleness above marriage. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, to the married and widows, I say that it is good to remain single as I am. Culturally, that's really difficult to accept. How can Paul encourage people to remain single? I think there's actually a clue in another um, letter he wrote, 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 5 reads, 
no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So my very first training a whole lot of years ago was as an English teacher. So I really love words and sometimes like a phrase or something will just really strike me. And as I was preparing for this, I really was thinking about civilian pursuits. Like that sounds so something. And so I had to like go to actual definitions about those words. Civilian means, quote, not a person in the armed forces or the police force. Okay, not, any person not in that as a civilian. So just regular people on the street going about their business. Pursuits, okay. A pursuit means an activity of a specific kind, especially a recreational or athletic one. So civilian pursuits, those regular life, just doing some nice things, things, okay? So can you understand what Paul is saying? It is better to remain single so that a person can be serious about the spiritual battle around them. When someone is tied up in regular life, work, and family, the time and energy to focus on the Lord decreases even if that person loves Jesus very much. That's always the shocking part to me. My single friends will be like, oh, I was in the word and I was doing this and I was doing this and I'm thinking, when do you have time to do that? (laughs) Oh, that's right, because you're the only person you have to take care of. It's amazing. (laughs) And an athlete. There isn't much time for athletic training when there's a house to build and children to feed. Being strong in the spirit takes time to focus on the Lord. And there is simply less time when domestic issues arise. So we just want to stress that remaining single is an opportunity of service in the kingdom and the community. And we really, because like Aaron said, this is our favorite church in the whole world. Don't go telling people that, but it really is the truth. Um, Our kids, it's their favorite church too. we, we want you as a church to value singleness above marriage. And I, I do see that, but I know that culturally it is very tricky. Um, celebrate it, encourage single people to make the most of the time spiritually they have because their marriage may come. And then often people who in their early days of marriage, they are shocked that suddenly there is so little time, not just for doing life, but for the Lord. And they then can sometimes feel disappointed that they didn't spend the time with him that they could have. I would say that I certainly felt that way in my early marriage. Like, wow, I could have done all these things and then I didn't do them. Why? Because I just wanted that thing and I was holding getting married as an idol. And I'm going to talk about that next week. So as we close today, um, we have some questions that all of us have to consider. Husbands, are you sacrificing for your wives and living with them in an understanding way? Do you listen to them, pray with them, and ask God for his purposes in your marriage? The things you expect from her, are they the things that the Lord says you expect from her? Are they the things that you want? And if you know that your heart is wrong about that, I challenge you, to find someone to to work that out and confess it.
Wives, are you using your strength to be a pillar in your home for the purposes of God, not yourself? Giving regard to your husband as his equal counterpart, are you manipulating or demanding? Those are not markers of strength. Those are not markers of strength. I think sometimes as women, we want to fight for that place because we feel put down or belittled, and so we fight to be above. No, have peace with God that you are equal and live like it. Singles, are you living fully in the freedom you currently have to pursue spiritual depth and time with God that might not be available later? Are you remaining pure mentally and physically so that you can clearly see the purposes God has for your life? So I, I've said some hard things to uh, husbands and wives this morning, so we can't stop without saying a hard thing to some single people. Um, we, I've said, we have a lot of single friends and they're doing amazing things for the Lord that I think, wow, I don't get to do that. Um, I also have a few single friends who are using their singleness selfishly. It is not yours to say, well, the Lord has not given me a spouse, so I will go do whatever I want. No. If you are single, that is also for the purposes of the Lord. It is not for yourself. And to even ask him, Lord, you have not brought me a spouse. What do you want from me here and now? Let me serve you here and now in the way that you have for me. Not spending my time and my money and my life on myself. Um, I think that my sister-in-law actually has the best take on life and marriage of anyone I know, and I could have done this entire thing without the microphone, but because of this one thing, I was so glad that the power came back on. So my sister-in-law and my brother's home is so beautiful and welcoming, and they actually have a great marriage, and they're the most, they're super godly, and we love being with them. But she has this picture on her wall. This is actually, I, I messaged her when I was getting ready for this, and I said, Tanya, I need a picture of the sign. So she sends this to me. She says it's there to remind her the truth every day. It's not about me. And, and her home is beautiful. And so she's like put it in this pretty frame and it's on the wall. But every time she walks by that beautiful thing, the hard truth is right there. She really is fantastic. It's not about me. And that is the essence of singleness and marriage. Ultimately, it's what we all need to hear this morning. It is always about God first. It is always about his plan first. It is always about how he wants us to sacrifice. It is always how he wants us to use our strength. It is always how he wants us to use our freedom for his purposes. And so I'm, I'm going to pray over you this morning, and as I do, I encourage you to ask the Lord, if it is not about me, regardless of my marital status, what changes do you want me to make in, in my actions, in my heart, in my attitudes, in my expectations of my spouse? Because it really is about what you want. Um, submission is a beautiful thing to the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you love us irregardless of married or single or old or young or anything. I thank you, Father, that you have a plan for us at every stage of our life and it is always to glorify you to glorify you with the choices we make in our singleness to glorify you by showing sacrifice and caring to our wives to glorify you by using our strength to stand beside our husband and not to demand and manipulate of him and ultimately, Lord, the world will see that our lives are different and you will be glorified and people will be pointed to you. Father, I thank you that you have redeemed the life that Aaron and I came from as children. And I know that there are many people in here who have come from childhoods that did not show them good marriage. And so, Lord, as people here confess their need to bring their hearts and actions into line with you. I pray, Lord, for healing of lies. I pray for them to stand up against what they have been taught that is not according to your word, against examples and pain. That is not your plan for them. Father, I praise you because you are able to overcome the part of us that is so selfish. So selfish. By the power of your Holy Spirit that we would live according to your will. And so I pray for grace and favor on everyone here that we would see what you want from us and that we would obey and that we would feel your presence with us daily as we do that because we confess, Lord, that without the power of your Holy Spirit, we cannot be these people. We cannot live in our freedom well. We cannot sacrifice well. We cannot be the strength beside without the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for a mighty pouring out of that in our singleness and in our marriages and in our church. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.